It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Punk hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all areas. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au or whatever podcasting app you choose to use. And don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at bzetechshow. My name's Matt Grantham and joining me today is Anthony Daniel. How are you, Anthony? I'm well, mate. How are you? Very good. Uh, And today we're going to be speaking to Gemma Green, who's the chair and co-founder of Power Ledger an innovative startup that uses blockchain technology to enable individuals to trade and share renewable energy, and she joins us from Perth. Hello, Gemma. Hello. Thank you uh, for joining us on the line today. Uh, Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, We always like to start these interviews by getting to know our guests a little bit, so you can tell us a bit about yourself and uh, how you ended up with this uh, Power Ledger startup. Sure. So I'm Perth born and bred, and I did a finance degree in moved to London where I worked for 11 years in investment banking and I returned to Australia four years ago where I've been doing a doctorate in disruptive innovation focused on solar and battery storage, um, particularly looking at rooftop solar for apartments and um, when you include solar and battery storage um, that's under shared ownership, you need to find a, a way to manage the allocation of units of electricity and it quite complex and at the same time as looking at this problem I uh, came across the blockchain technology and saw its applications in various sectors and realised that it could actually assist in you know, uh, managing the movement of electricity from port to point to point and uh, the consumption of it, measuring those factors and also the financial payments off the back of it and so um, earlier this year with some colleagues we decided to set up a company that would uh, enable uh, peer-to-peer trading of electricity using uh, blockchain, and the company's called PowerLedger. And, and so, Gemma, a lot of our listeners will be familiar with, you know, you'll hear in the news terms like Bitcoin and blockchain, but can you sort of just give our, our listeners a little bit of an insight into that specific technology and maybe how blockchain is a bit different from, from Bitcoin? Sure. The way I think about the blockchain is that it's a database, And normally when two companies transact with each other, they each have their own internal database. And then to um, settle payments or reconcile trades, you need to reconcile the information in the two databases, and that can take a lot of time and resources. Um, But the blockchain is a single database that all counterparties agree to transact off. And so what it means is that you can settle payments at the point when the deal is struck or... Um, you could net payments off against each other and settle them more rapidly than you would do otherwise. So the stock market in Australia is testing the use of the blockchain to more optimally settle stock transactions. Um, but it, it can, in the energy market, settling trades can take 60 to 90 days. And so the blockchain could really enable a much faster and more secure way of transacting. Um, and the information on the databases is held in what's called nodes and their computers, Anyone could become a node 
Um, I, and there are approximately five to 7,000 of them live at any one time. So the information in the database, the blockchain, is held in all of these nodes. And to change an entry in the database, you need control of 50% or more of the nodes. So it's very secure. Um, it's one thing to, you know, hack into one or two computers, but it's quite something else to hack into more than 2,500 computers. Well, I'm sure Hollywood's writing a, a script <laughs> where that is happening. But yes, but I do agree that it does have some uh, very secure um, uh, implications. And, and I mean, I guess if we were just to, to complete the loop here, I guess blockchain is pro- was probably what the f- – sorry, Bitcoin was the first example of a blockchain and effectively invented the, the, the idea in the same way that, say, Napster invented peer-to-peer networking. Um, so there is now that kind of technology that's being applied elsewhere, as you guys are doing. Is there anything else that's using blockchain technology around the world that's exciting you at the moment? Uh, there's, there's quite a lot of applications. So, for example, wine producers in um, Margaret River that sell wine to China, uh, putting into the wine the labels of the wine bottle um, a microchip that's very cheap to produce, um, but it means that you can scan the, the bottle of wine with any mobile phone and it will show you um, on the blockchain where the grapes were grown, where the body, the wine was bottled and where it was shipped from port to port. So the wine can't be, um, uh, you know that it's an authentic bottle of Australian Margaret River wine. I think that's quite exciting. There's another application called EnoMe and um, that's about medical records. So at the moment, your medical records are held at your doctor's surgery, but instead, EnoMe has you have uh, retained control of them on a private blockchain, and you provide access to medical professionals uh, when you want to. And so I think that's quite exciting and uh, 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 quite an exciting application using the blockchain as well. And also another one uh, that I think is quite cool is for parking infringements at the moment when parking inspectors give out fines. They might take a photograph of a car, but you don't know where that car uh, is located or what time the infringement was taken. Or that information could be doctored uh, or altered, but using the blockchain, you can embed in the photograph the geographical coordinates in the time of day it was taken, and if you alter one pixel in the photograph, it won't match the entry in the blockchain, so it can be used as evidence in court. I have to say I'm a bit less keen on that one, Gemma, myself, <laughs> as, as a technological <laughs> innovation. So, Gemma, we've, we've talked a bit about sort of blockchain technology. Um, your product's called EcoChain. Can you tell us a little bit about um, EcoChain and how it's different relative to those other blockchain technologies? Sure. So the Bitcoin uses um, Bitcoin blockchain to um, store information, and the Bitcoin blockchain is very energy intensive because it uses um, proof of work as the way to create uh, units of currency. So uh, basically there's a problem that needs to be solved and every time one solves, it becomes um, a step more complex to solve the next one. And so it's a very energy hungry process and um, you know the size of small cities are being used to solve these problems to create units of currency. And so it kind of runs counter to ideas around sustainability. And yeah, I believe there's a lot of data centers in Iceland that are basically dedicated to creating Bitcoins. Yeah, it's really insane that um, this much work is being um, done and much en- this much energy is being consumed 
to um, to create uh, units of currency for the Bitcoin. And um, Ecotain is uh, powered predominantly by solar energy, and it uses the latest proof-of-stake mining, which by design uses a fraction of the energy consumed by other proof-of-work blockchains. And uh, it also has a, a fast um, block time, uh, and it was the purpose is for high volume transaction applications. So where you've got, you know, each kilowatt hour, you're using a lot uh, in total. And there's further security and data integrity provided by leveraging off the Bitcoin blockchain using Tangle technology, which was developed locally by Ledger Assets. And uh, a simpler form of smart contract uh, which protects against coding errors is also available. So there's a number of features of the EcoChain, and it's a private um, blockchain at this point, and it may become public later. Um, but uh, that's what PowerLedger is uh, using for um, for its uh, blockchain technology. And so, Gemma, can I ask? You know, a lot of people are familiar with bitcoins, and they get converted to other sorts of currency, but. What's the actual asset that's being traded here? Is it some sort of grid credit? Is it a kilowatt hour? Or is it money? Um, you know, what is the, the asset that's being traded on this blockchain? Sure. Um, it's actually uh, any one of those things. So um, on the platform, you can convert um, the units of electricity to a credit um, or uh, to dollars. Uh, and so you could gift electricity to your neighbour or your mother, or you could uh, sell it. Um, in exchange for dollars or you can convert it to credits and you can use those credits to buy electricity or other things um, if you want to, um, they can be traded. So is it a, it, yeah, because I'm trying to work out whether there's a difference between a, a cryptocurrency, something that holds value in and of itself and, and, and something like this because obviously once the, once the energy associated to this uh, this this particular uh, blockchain or eco chain is is used. Then does that does that concept then disappear or does it get recycled? How does that work? Uh, I'm not quite sure. I understand your question. I'm just w- wondering about the, like a Bitcoin is a perpetual currency, right? Like it's going to keep yes. getting traded. It holds value. Yes. But once I use a unit of energy, that's it, right? So what happens to Correct. the to to the unit associated? with that, that energy that I've just used? Well, that, that would be retired. If there was a credit associated with it and you exchange that for uh, unit of electricity, the, the credit would be retired. Um, with electricity, of course, distinct from, say, other products and services, unless the energy is stored, it can only be used at that moment in time. And so as long as there's someone that could buy that uh, uh, unit of electricity at the moment that it's generated then uh, it can be converted to either a credit or dollars. Um, but if there isn't a buyer at that moment in time, then it, you know, value can't be created in perpetuity. Um, Gemma, that's a sort of good lead on to my next question, which was, you know, what, what are basically the benefits of uh, to users of this ecosystem or network as it grows? Um, is it just that the sort of the more users you get, um, you know, uh, sort of effectively the ecosystem functions like a battery uh, and so that for individual users they might need slightly smaller systems because they can share everybody else's? Is that, is, is that the benefit of, of, of this power ledger system? What, what is it to users specifically? There, there are quite a number of benefits for People that have rooftop solar, it enables them to monetize or um, get a faster payback on 
um, that investment that they've made in the solar panels or the batteries for that matter. At the moment, you get a certain feed-in tariff and it's quite low, but you could, in selling your electricity peer-to-peer, attract a higher rate and um, receive you know, a return on investment superior to the feed-in tariff. That's the first thing. The second thing is that on the network as it expands, uh, there may be uh, more demand in a certain area where there's not currently supply of electricity. So that may encourage people to install solar panels or batteries uh, to take advantage of that demand and uh, as an investment and receive an economic return. And because you need to pay uh, access to send electricity across the network, um, if you're sending it just on the distribution network, the fee would, um, by extension, be lower than if you're sending it across to both the transmission and the distribution network. So because of that, the trans- transportation costs will encourage more localised energy generation and consumption. So you're seeing a co-location of energy generation uh, where there is demand. And, and Gemma, obviously one of the issues to do with, you know, how we sort of manage systems across seasons uh, in Melbourne, we've got sort of large demand across winter, but, and, but we tend to produce probably more from our systems in summer. Is there any way that this system allows you to store credits up and use them in different seasons? How's it, how would it interact with, you know, the, the nature of, of how we use electricity? Well, uh, it certainly would enable you to sell credits, um, uh, sell electricity in the summertime and create credits and use those, um, but the electricity is worth different amounts at different times of the day. Um, you know, electricity in the peak period actually costs more to produce because often though those gen- generation assets are sitting idle at um, other times of the day or the year for that matter. So um, a-, a credit of electricity may not be worth the same or may not buy the same amount of electricity at different times of of the year. So that's the the first thing to say. Uh, The other thing is that uh, with battery storage, you may start to see more electricity stored in the battery and then provided in the market when there's a higher price in the peak periods. And that could equally be in the summertime uh, in the peak periods, but also in the wintertime when you've got a few consecutive days where the sun's not shining and um, the battery source electricity um, will be more in demand at that time and therefore more valuable. So arbitrage but you know, th- th- over days might be of value, but over the seasons, I mean, I guess the market will work it out, right? But, yeah, ma- yeah. Maybe, yeah maybe just in the shorter term it probably makes a lot of sense for people to hold on to credits. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Gemma, can I ask, what does the sort of user experience here look like? You know, is there any sort of special inverters or smart meters or software that people need when they're using the system? Does it appear on an app letting them know what their credits are and what their transactions were for a day? How does the, the system work from a user point of view? Well, um, you can set it and forget it, and it will just um, optimise um, your the sale of your electricity. So if it can find a buyer at a rate higher than what you're getting for the feeding tariff, it will do that, so you don't have to do anything. But if you are more um, technologically inclined, you could gamify it and set it to operate within certain parameters. Um, but So, yeah, it allows... I think most consumers will just set and forget it. There'll only be a few people that would really want to play around with the technology. Uh, it, uh, are there correct. any Pokemons you can... <laughs> 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 uh-huh. um, Not well, yet? The first trial, that we, the first deployment that we've done is actually at a 
uh, retirement village in Buckleton in Western Australia, and we chose that very deliberately to show um, that people that um, you know maybe are not uh, are interested in the set and forget option is that it works for them and it's very simple and straightforward. And there's nothing particularly it fits in with smart meters. Is there any sort of innovation on the sort of user side or any additional cost to, to getting involved in the system? Uh, it can the system can operate just using regular uh, regular smart meters and an internet connection. Great. You're on the Beyond Zero show and we're speaking to Gemma Green from PowerLedger and we're talking all about the blockchain and how that relates to energy and their fantastic uh, uh, new innovations in that area. And uh, I just wanted to speak a bit about the competitive landscape now and there are the number of companies that are seeking to trade energy amongst assets they control. I guess it's referred to something as a, as a virtual power plant and a few of the big players in energy are getting into that. I wanted you to, let, to ask you how, how you would compare and contrast your model with that and whether you consider it, consider it to be like, almost like a direct uh, competitor in the sense that, that they are, are looking to control assets and then trade amongst themselves, whereas you're looking to almost create an ecosystem where people can act more independently. Well, our technology could actually integrate into the existing system where you have uh, an energy retailer that offers peer-to-peer trading to its customers um, and, uh, or it can be off the market or above the market. Um, a separate market, if you like. Um, so it can work in both scenarios because I think that um, incumbent energy players may want to enable their customers to be able to trade peer-to-peer as a way of retaining their customers and um, providing more flexibility to, to them. Uh, we're all seeing incumbent players also you know, offer solar panels and batteries to consumers and some of them are on leasing arrangements or co-ownership arrangements where the benefits from the electricity are shared between the retailer and the consumer. And so there are opportunities, I think, for incumbent players using peer-to-peer trading, uh, but equally it could also be an um, off-market solution. You're seeing so many sort of parallels, I guess, between, say, uh, sort of like the funds management industry where someone can can say, well, I'm going to give you my money and you can invest it. And then, of course, you'll take a bit of a cut from that and you do the everyday investing and I can just sit and forget. Um, or someone might want to, you know, invest their own money in, 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 you know, in their own shares. And I guess the equivalent would be them wanting to trade their own energy. So it's almost going to having a lot of similarities to, to the investment markets, which you would, you know, have a lot of experience in. Yeah, I think that it is um, very uh, analogous to um, the, the, tra- the trading market. The, the grid, we've seen it as poles and wires, but if you relate to the grid as a trading platform and, uh, and enable it as a marketplace, a proper marketplace of, tra- you know, anyone can buy and sell, then I think that you will start to see those kinds of trading behaviours and, and, and investments in infrastructure as well to monetise opportunities. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Now, your site says that PowerLedger allows renewable energy asset owners to decide who they want to sell their surplus energy to and to what, at what price. Now, mm-hmm. uh, are, are they likely to, to trade on an open market, as you mentioned, or, or are they more likely to make long-term arrangements where they may say, like, as you mentioned, like you may share it with, with a family member or something or, or someone you've got a long-term agreement with? Are both of those models supported? Yeah, the technology enables um, you to do whatever you would like in that respect. 
So um, if you did want to give it to the cat haven, you can do that. You can give it to your mother or you can sell it to your neighbour and you can choose the price within certain parameters. But, I mean, the, the, the kind of price range is the floor, I would say, is the feed-in tariff. So you'd like to get it a rate higher than that. Otherwise, you would just sell it to the retailer at the feed-in tariff as a matter of last resort. And then the cap, if you like, is the price of purchasing electricity in the marketplace. So the opportunity is the kind of delta between those two things. And, and Jimmy, you mentioned there the issues to do with, um, you know, we mentioned competition before and, and, and natural competitors there. Obviously, we've got retailers and generators and, and poles and wires um, sort of companies. Um, in, in terms of looking at, at those from a sort of competitive, who, which one of those incumbents do you best create value for? Well, for poles and wires, uh, business utilities, so you know, um, distribution and network service providers, there there is a war going on right now for surplus renewable power, surplus rooftop power. At the moment, it's being spilled out onto the network, and when batteries become uh, more cost competitive, and that's going to happen in you know in the next two years, I would say, then quite likely that electricity will be stored and consumed behind the meter. And at the moment, it's being spat out onto the network and every time that electricity touches the network, it pays a network access fee. And that's what gives the network its value. As the network is used, um, each time it's used, it's paid for and that's what gives it its value. But if the electricity is stored, is produced behind the meter, stored behind the meter and consumed behind the meter there'll be far less movement of electricity across the metre and that's declining utilisation or this kind of so-called death spiral situation you hear about. And um, if you instead see the network, as I mentioned, as a trading platform and enable trading across it, that surplus electricity and you allow consumers to monetise it, uh, then you're going to see a maintaining of utilisation of the network. And so I see... Uh, this technology is enabling the continued relevance of the grid. Well, I'd love to be in that uh, business meeting, Gemma, when you sit down with them saying, we're going to write your assets off, but not completely. Just a little <laughs> bit. We'll just take a little chunk off the top. Um, you know, we talked about some of the things that are, that are, you know, that, that are happening. And this transition is, of course, inevitable. You know, everyone sort of acknowledges this increasing uh, decentralisation of, uh, of grids and so on. But you know, looking at the, the, the model going forward for you guys to work, what are the real sort of challenges uh, from the regulatory perspective in terms of what needs to happen on that side of things to really enable this technology to be uh, sort of become more mainstream? Well, porting electricity from you know, one place to another is something that um, is able to be done in most places in Australia already. It's called a wheeling access arrangement and you can port, move electricity from point to point. But usually what it is is for like a large consumer and there's a large um, generation asset down the road and they move the electricity across a discrete part of the network. And so the regulation hasn't really contemplated that on mass peer-to-peer, you know, or business-to-business or consumer-to-business or consumer-to-consumer. So I think that it, you know, the regulation probably needs to catch up with, uh, with this and in, uh, in certain markets. And where the regulation um, uh, hasn't caught up, there's still really big opportunities for using this technology behind the meter right now. So that's in apartment buildings 
in shopping centres or in estates where the this local distribution network uh, is owned by the building owner or the estate owner. So, for example, in strata buildings, you might have, uh, say, apartments of up to five storeys. You can fit enough solar on the roof space to provide most of the electricity needs of that building. And um, you can use this technology to enable the peer-to-peer -peer trading of electricity within the building. And, and Gemma, um, you mentioned, you know, before about that. That's uh, you know that that the regulatory. I've got two questions. Firstly, the regul around the regu regulatory question um, was: Is there anything? I know that you know that the advantage of blockchain is that you can do it simultaneously. Is there anything to do with the sort of thirty-minute settlement period for electricity that would, you know, the changes around that that would sort of um, create more advantage for for blockchain technology, given how quickly it can be traded? At the moment, it's a thirty-minute settlement period, so that's obviously oh, quite a long time frame. I mean it is. For our trials, we're actually getting data at five-minute intervals. Um, the, the technology could actually um, easily do that at one-minute uh, you know, one, one intervals as well. So uh, you could settle electricity trades, but, I mean, you really wouldn't want to do that. Those kind of micropayments, it's more about optimal settlement. Um, or, like, for example, in the stock market, you could use a blockchain to settle each and every stock trade, but you're really about, you might want to net trades off against each other and, um, and settle at the end of the day. And I think with electricity, it's a similar situation. And, and you're, you're, do, you're doing some work, I know, with Vector at the moment. What's, what, what's the value they see in terms of working with you, in terms of you know, their, their relationship with your technology? How's that uh, relationship unfolding? Sure. So I think that... Um, I think that Vector CEO said that, you know, this arrangement empowers consumers to better manage and profit from their energy supply and demand. And um, the trial is really around uh, enabling the safe and sustainable and sensible trading of electricity between producers and consumers. And so um, and that trial is planned to get underway in December of this year across up to 500 sites, which includes schools, community groups and households and uh, Vector is a company that is they see themselves as a, a energy and technology company and I think it's a natural extension of their exploration of new technologies with the emergence of uh, you know a new electricity network that offers consumers you know more choice and control over the sources of energy that they use. Right that's fantastic and uh uh, we might just have time to wrap it up now. So, I mean, if anybody wants to find out more about what PowerLedger is doing, uh, where can they find that out? Uh, we have a Facebook page called PowerLedger. Uh, we also have a website, uh, which is powerledger.io. And uh, they're the main places where... And we've also got a, a Twitter, PowerLedger underscore IO, where you can follow us. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us today, Gemma. Thank you. You've been listening to the Beyond Zero show brought to you by the Climate Solutions Think Tank Beyond Zero Emissions. To find out more about what we do or listen to any of our other shows, visit us at bze.org.au. My name's Anthony Daniel. I've been Matt Grantham. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.